everybody, check it out. Anchor by Spotify is the easiest way to start a podcast. It has all the tools in one place that you need right from your phone or computer to edit and publish your podcast. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listing platforms such as Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started now. I'm using it right along with you. The Frankie Files. The Frankie Files. Cults, Mind Control, and Sexuality in Society by Frankie Tees. I have a podcast recommendation for you. The Cult Vault podcast is a deep dive long format podcast that focuses on the testimonies of cult survivors and victims of high demand groups. Host KC releases weekly interviews with people from all over the world who've experienced the coercion, manipulation, and undue influence that takes place in some of the world's most infamous cults. The Cult Vault podcast not to be confused with Colt Vault, at Colt Vault is a different podcast, but at Colt Vault Pod on Twitter, they're the only ones who have an app that I've seen for their podcast. You can download the Colt Vault Podcast app, hear all of the episodes in the hundreds at this point, and also they have links of resources for people who are recovering from cults and religion. Join Casey by listening to the Cult Vault podcast, available on all major podcast platforms and YouTube. You won't regret it. Follow me on Reddit at Frankie Tees and on Twitter at Frankie Tees for supplemental discussion. I'll be launching the use of a new hashtag, Occupy Cults. Occupy Cults certainly speaks for itself. It's time that we get the word out about the damage these cults do financially, emotionally, psychologically, sexually, generationally. And that's part of what prompted me to begin speaking out. The hashtag Occupy Cults should be placed on anything you want the awareness raised on. I notified the press my list that I use, and I hope that it will help them find stories to raise the awareness and to disseminate this information even more widely than it is now. So check out the hashtag Occupy Cults. Wear it on a t-shirt. Chalk it on the neighborhood. Get the word out. Occupy Cults means just that. Pay attention to what's going on. Those survivors who are trying to speak out need your support. It's extremely difficult for us. So thanks for listening and uh, check out Occupy Cults, the hashtag. If you would like information on cults in the news, please join my new substack, frankietees.substack.com. The Frankie Files podcast is researched, written, recorded, and edited by me, Frankie Tees. Okay, I've been working on this episode for a while, and I want to get into human trafficking in cults. There is a lot of misinformation surrounding today's topic, human trafficking. I know most of us think we know what it is, but as a victim... 
it did take me many years until I realized I was a victim of trafficking. So it clearly isn't info available as readily as it should be. Let's get into it. In this episode, I want to deal specifically with coercive trafficking that cults do and the mind control tactics used to accomplish that. It ain't pretty. First, here is the DHS, Department of Homeland Security's, full definition of human trafficking. And they only dedicated a special unit for trafficking in the United States as late as 2000, 20 years ago. That's something I found out in research for today's show. Kind of surprising. It's not like trafficking started 20 years ago. So according to DHS.gov, human trafficking involves the use of force, fraud, or coercion to obtain some type of labor or commercial sex act. Every year, millions of men, women, and children are trafficked worldwide, including right here in the United States. It can happen in any community, and victims can be any age, race, gender, or nationality. Traffickers might use violence, manipulation, or false promises of well-paying jobs or romantic relationships to lure victims into trafficking situations. Language barriers, fear of their traffickers, and or fear of law enforcement frequently keep victims from seeking help, making human trafficking a hidden crime. Traffickers use force, fraud, or coercion to lure the victims and force them into labor or commercial sexual exploitation. And I would like to add religious sexual exploitation. They look for people who are susceptible for a variety of reasons, including psychological or emotional vulnerability, economic hardship, lack of a social safety net, natural disasters, or political instability. The trauma caused by the traffickers can be so great that many may not identify themselves as victims or ask for help. Even in highly public settings, many myths and misconceptions exist. Recognizing key indicators of human trafficking is the first step in identifying victims and can help save a life. Not all indicators listed are present in every human trafficking situation, and the presence or absence of any of the indicators is not necessarily proof of human trafficking. The safety of the public as well as the victim is paramount. Do not attempt to confront a suspected trafficker directly or alert a victim to any suspicions. It's up to law enforcement to investigate suspected cases of human trafficking. Under the Human Trafficking Program, the FBI investigates sex trafficking when individuals are compelled by force, fraud, or coercion to engage in commercial sex acts. I noticed they didn't say religious. Sex trafficking of a minor occurs when the victim is under the age of 18. For cases involving minors, it is not necessary to prove force, fraud, or coercion. Labor trafficking when individuals are compelled by force, threats, or fraud to perform labor or service. Domestic servitude when individuals within a household appear to be nannies, housekeepers, or other types of domestic workers, but they are being controlled and exploited. FBI Child Exploitation and Human Trafficking Task Forces operate within nearly every FBI field office. The ultimate goal of these task forces is to recover victims and investigate traffickers at the state and federal level. Okay, so that is the end of the DHS statement. But cults have not been held accountable. I have a special interest in this, guys. Morningland Church took my twin and I out of school and had us deceive our mom, enslaving us and keeping us from graduating high school. It happened. 
and I wasn't smart enough as a child to understand it. So like many, we were encouraged by some recent events. Here's a lawsuit which took place September 10th, 2019. This is precedent-setting lawsuit, and I want you guys to pay attention. It gives me a lot of hope. I got this article from MarketWatch.com by Elizabeth Hudson, H-U-T-S-O-N. A woman wins 8 million judgment from the cult that enslaved her for a decade. Woohoo! This past May, a federal judge in Kansas awarded Kendra Ross nearly $8 million in a human trafficking suit against a nationwide cult and its leader, Royal Jenkins. This judgment is the largest civil single plaintiff human trafficking award in American history. In addition to the significance of the larger monetary award, this case provides important precedent for forced labor cases and exposes common myths and misconceptions about human trafficking in the United States. In her complaint, Kendra alleged that Jenkins and the Value Creators Incorporated, formerly known as the United Nation of Islam, forced her to work for more than 40,000 uncompensated hours from 2002 until her 2012 escape from the cult. Profiting from her unpaid labor, the cult shipped Ross from Kansas City to New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Georgia, and Tennessee to work around the clock in the cult's businesses, restaurants, and homes. In addition to dictating when and where members worked, the cult controlled every other aspect of their lives, including where they lived, their education, their diet, and whom they married. The article clearly shows that this set a new precedent in law. It's certainly not the first instance of trafficking in American history, and it doesn't touch the trafficking that's going on now. But our next story does. News broke during the week of April 25th this year that a lawsuit has been filed in Florida against Scientology by three of its previous members. They claim trafficking and forced labor, and they have much better chance now since the Nation of Islam case. Children as young as 10 years old forced to do labor in service of Scientology instead of receiving basic schooling, isolated from parents and endured verbal abuse for minor or fabricated transgressions. I write about this on my Substack using many sources at frankietees.substack.com. Just search Scientology trafficking. The Frankie Files. Three individuals who were raised in Scientology and forced to work in its service from childhood today filed a groundbreaking lawsuit against Scientology's leader, David Miscavige, and five Scientology-affiliated corporations, alleging violation of the Trafficking Victims Protection Reauthorization Act, TVPRA. The filing details the horrific mistreatment the plaintiffs endured under the control of Scientology, including forced labor, verbal and physical abuse, intimidation and coercion at Scientology's primary hub of activity in Clearwater, Florida, and for more than a decade on board Scientology's cruise vessel, the Free Winds. The plaintiffs allege that beginning in childhood, they were required to commit to a lifetime of service to Scientology, 
enduring regular verbal abuse, crowded living conditions, and sleep deprivation. Children were repeatedly told that those who attempted to leave Scientology could suffer awful fates, including death. Beginning as young as 10, the plaintiffs were forced to work in Scientology's Cadet Org and Sea Org, providing unpaid and extremely low-paid labor, including landscaping, food service, and janitorial work. The plaintiffs allege that Scientology employs numerous psychologically devastating tactics to achieve coercive control over members, including lengthy interrogation section sessions in which individuals who had been abused are compelled to take full blame for those abuses and agree to make amends to their abusers. Quote, for years, Scientology has exploited defenseless children and groomed them for a lifetime of servitude. Our clients were subjected to systematic indoctrination and manipulation that normalizes extremely abusive treatment. Throughout their formative years and into adulthood, they were forced to perform labor under unimaginable conditions, said Neil L. Glazer, an attorney for the plaintiffs and shareholder at the law firm of Cone, Swift, and Graf, PC. Their lives have been forever altered by this mistreatment. Growing up in Scientology, the quote continues, being separated from my family and subjected to severe verbal and physical abuse, has scarred me in ways that I am still working through and uncovering. Sometimes it feels like it will never end. All the while, Scientology continues to abuse and exploit its members, including young children, and does so with virtually unchecked power, said Plaintiff Gawain Baxter. To this day, there are completely defenseless minors being mistreated by Scientology leaders, just as I was. They are isolated from family and have no way to protect themselves. Scientology must be held accountable for the human rights abuses and trauma it has inflicted without a shred of remorse. Plaintiff Gawain Baxter was required at age six to sign a contract pledging to serve Scientology by extension David Miscavige for one billion years. Beginning at age 10, he alleges he was forced to attend expensive indoctrination sessions, the cost of which he was continually told were recorded as a mounting financial debt he would have to repay if he ever left the Sea Org. Wow. Coercion, bribery. As a teenager, Gawain Baxter was allegedly transported from Clearwater to Caraco and compelled to board the free winds, where his identification documents were immediately confiscated. There he was forced to provide manual labor with few breaks and little sleep. Tasks were often incredibly dangerous, such as when he was ordered to squeeze inside fuel tanks to clean them from the inside without a respirator to protect him from the fumes. When the free winds underwent extensive renovations, he worked more than 18 hours per day and was exposed to blue asbestos and concrete dust. He was not provided any protective equipment and soon became ill, coughing up blood. Quote, Scientology cannot be allowed to continue exploiting the labor of its members and inflicting emotional and physical abuse without facing justice, said Ted Leopold, an attorney for the plaintiffs at Cohen Milston Sellers and Toll PLLC. 
Our hope is that this lawsuit will assist the plaintiffs in holding Miscavige and Scientology accountable for this egregious mistreatment. The second plaintiff, Laura Baxter, grew up in Scientology in Germany. At age seven, her mother signed her up to take Scientology courses. By 15, she worked as a staff member for Scientology in Stuttgart, which required her to undergo frequent auditing and security checks. Her mother eventually signed over guardianship to a senior Scientology officer, after which she was transported to the Free Winds. Her identifying documents were also confiscated, and she was forced to do labor and endure punishment for minor and fabricated transgressions. In 2004, a prominent Scientologist celebrated their birthday aboard the Free Winds. At the celebration, the plaintiff was allegedly falsely accused of monopolizing their attention and, as punishment, was confined to the hot engine room for three days and was only allowed to leave for a few minutes at a time for meals and a few hours of sleep in her room. During her time on the Free Winds, she continued to endure further abuse such as being forced to confess to alleged crimes against Scientology, having her meager pay withheld, being confined and under constant, under constant surveillance. Gawain and Laura Baxter met aboard the Freewinds and ultimately married. Eager to escape the Sea Org, they made the decision to become pregnant, which would give them the opportunity to leave due to a policy change following unfavorable news coverage of the Sea Org's forced abortion policy. When Laura became pregnant, the two were offered a choice to terminate the pregnancy or leave the Sea Org. When they declined to terminate the pregnancy, they were isolated from the ship's staff, put under full-time surveillance, and required to undergo ethics handling and security checks as punishment. And on the aside, if you watch Leia Remini's Scientology, you'll know what a security check is. It's like psychological torture. Gawain was also interrogated and berated for not forcing Laura to terminate her pregnancy. After weeks of punishments and isolation, when it became clear that they were not going to comply, Gawain and Laura were permitted to leave the ship. To this day, they're traumatized as a result of what they endured since childhood. They regularly receive intimidating phone calls from Scientologists as a reminder that they continue to be monitored. The third plaintiff, Valeska Paris, was subjected to Scientology indoctrination beginning when she was just four years old. During this training, which continued throughout her childhood and adolescence, she was regularly interrogated by adults who asked graphic questions about sexual acts for hours at a time. When she was six years old, Valeska's parents deposited her with the cadet org in England where she was provided a minimal schooling and was forced to work for hours every day. At 14 years old, Valeska was pressured into going to work on the Sea Org at Scientology's flag base in Clearwater, Florida. There, among other things, she was punished for reporting having been sexually assaulted by a senior Scientology officer. After several years of mistreatment, Scientology's leader, David Miscavige ordered her to be put to work on the free winds, where she toiled under extreme conditions for many years. Valeska says, Because of the horrors I experienced at the hands of Scientology from childhood and throughout my adolescence, 
I still have nightmares. Scientology is a system that is designed to perpetuate fear, and I continue to struggle with the trauma. No person, child or adult, should have to go through the daily abuse and manipulation I faced. Though bringing this lawsuit is a great personal risk, I could not stand by while countless children continue to be trained for a lifetime of slavery and abuse. TVPRA. TVPRA is a 2008 law that strengthened the federal trafficking laws established in the Trafficking Victims Protection Act of 2000. The lawsuit also names Church of Scientology International Religious Technology Center, RTC, International Association of Scientologists Administrators, IASA, Church of Scientology Flag Service Organization Incorporated, and Church of Scientology Flagship Service Organization, Inc., as defendants. The lawsuit has been filed on behalf of the three plaintiffs, who are represented by Neil Glazer of Cone, Swift, and Graf, P.C., Ted Leopold of National Plaintiff Firm Cohen, Milstein, Sellers, and Toll, Gregory Hansel of Preddy, Flaherty, and Warren A. Zimmerman. I have never in my life seen a sex trafficking, human trafficking, or any trafficking lawsuit against a religion or cult. Let's take a moment and celebrate that this gives many victims hope that in our lifetime, we might see some type of justice. The Frankie Files. Just want to put out a reminder that on months that have five weeks, the fifth Tuesday, I have guests. I'll be bringing a full announcement to you soon on May's guest. Stay tuned. If you're listening and you haven't followed the show yet on Amazon, Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, etc., please take a moment to subscribe. YouTube is where we put the teasers. It's totally free to subscribe, and growing subscriptions or downloads helps the show to gain stability and longevity. We want to stick around. As a cult kid, one of the issues I'm dealing with is simply speaking out. And that's after 35 years. Trying to help normalize the activity of being public on our cult stories. I made a press release announcement, which I emailed to press and posted publicly on Reddit in the Reddit slash Long Beach section. Let me read it to you. If press are listening, this is for immediate release. Frankie's statement on being a survivor of Morningland Church. I've been silent long enough. As a survivor of Morningland Church, religious cult, I represent adult cult kids like me. I'm currently the only person speaking out against the abuses of this church, many documented by the press publicly through time. I was involved in this place from age 8 to 22, sustaining much abuse and sorrow. My family was systematically destroyed by cult clergy still active at Morningland, renamed the Monastery in Long Beach, California. This is part of my stepping up. I feel a responsibility. My relationship with my twin did not survive, but I have the support of my mother in stepping forward. Though the original founders died long ago, Dan Sperato in 76 and Patricia Sperato in 2003, 
There are three people they trained who participated in the destruction of my family, still living illegally at 2600 East 7th Street, Long Beach, California. These clergy are still using the same awful techniques to lure people into their web. They also still have an entire city block, which was purchased by donations of unwitting victims of their deception, including false claims of healing, promises of ascension at death, and more spiritual and psychological abuse. Family and marriage separation are some of the behavior, which still goes on today. In 2022, like many people, the pandemic forced me to reevaluate my life and embrace a new role, podcast host, and soon published author on the topic of cults. In 2021, due to the pandemic, I had the extra time and solitude needed to write my memoir. It's ready. In addition, I reconnected with my mother and had her support in recalling the story and detailing it where there was amnesia. I could not have written my memoir without my mother. My mother sustained much suffering, losing contact with her kids for many years. Our reconciliation has been a long time coming. I'm seeking a literary agent now to publish my memoir. I am seeking public interviews. I look forward to speaking opportunities on this topic ongoing and am available for speaking engagements virtually at this time. I am no longer religious, yet I have faith in a higher power. In good. I've been in the process of speaking out since 2014. I have sustained much personal attack by proxy from the church since finally telling my mother in 2014 of the sexual abuse my sister and I endured. There's no shortage of amazement with the lawyer for the church having been Ed Masry of Aaron Brockovich fame, now deceased, a bribery charge involving state officials, a bomb scare that nearly took my life, and sexual trafficking and family separation. Finally confronting this life trauma was like walking across the Sahara Desert alone. I assure you that the book will reveal a shocking story that has never been told. Fear, pain, and mental landmines have made the telling of my story previously impossible. Until now, I'm ready. Contact me at frankietees.com if you're a trusted news agency who will handle this story properly. If I can encourage those of you who are survivors considering speaking out to write a summation like that, I really do. It helps in just letting people know we're out here especially as cult kids, we're out here and we need to tell our stories as a cautionary tale. The fact that I'm coming out about what happened to me is very difficult, like all cult survivors. Most of us just want to live our lives or disappear into society. But in coming out, we deserve to hide as much of our identity as possible. After all, privacy was stolen from us, especially the cult kids, with not a thought of the long-term costs to us. Thousands of people fetished and gawked me in this cult that I didn't know. I'm finding out now. One of the reasons I don't get on camera is twofold. When in 2014 I moved back to the town where the cult exists that hurt me, fake videos of me were put on the internet. I know because some stranger followed me one day on the street and I was going into a restaurant and he announced that there were inflammatory videos of me on the internet, on Facebook. I told him, I don't even use Facebook. And then without more info, the man walked away. He taunted me. As you know, there are apps that do deep fake videos nowadays. And I want to warn those who are speaking out that cults will go to the extreme and 
tactics using private investigators and other means to suppress us. Whistleblowers of cults and dangerous groups often have their reputations destroyed like this in an effort to keep them quiet. And I'm sure that's related. And I'm sure there's other videos and audio of me that they concocted to make me look crazy or to discredit me. Another reason I choose audio over video is that it allows me to keep one layer of anonymity to the public on these topics. Cults of proxy stalkers that bother members after they leave, especially when they could destroy the reputation of the church with damaging details of their abuse, such as myself. My memoir is not yet out, but it will curl your wig, what I have been through, as well as my mother and twin. I would just tell those of you contemplating speaking out that it's okay to remain as anonymous as you like, because some of your fears are warranted. This isn't make them up, and it's lifelong. We're dealing with dangerous traffickers, tricksters, grifters, and liars that hurt people in the normal course of their day. It's what they do. There isn't a need to pretend that yours isn't as bad as an international child who was trafficked by force. I get it. Those make headlines. Our stories are just as heartbreaking. And we, victims of cults, often never come out or go to agencies because of fear of retaliation. It's very common. We literally discount our experience as lesser or different. That's a narrative that the cults keep going to enshroud themselves in secrecy and allow them to keep the grift going. It took me so long to even figure out that what happened to me was trafficking, forced labor and sex labor, that I thought the time had passed for me to get justice. We'll see about that. I was recently talking in chat online with one podcast host I follow, Andrew Gold, a UK-based journalist who's covered cults and exorcism and some really crazy stuff. He was a BBC correspondent and now is independent on YouTube. He hosts a program called On the Edge. Just search Andrew Gold. And I was telling him in addition to not wanting to be so highly visible on video, unless it's for an interview of my own experience, I also can't interview guests each week about their traumatic experience. I have to be concerned about my own mental health too. I can't be triggered every week for this show. So helping with topic of recovery and education about what we went through is the way to go for me. Educating people who didn't experience it and then researching topics that I and other recovering cultists need works best for me. Writing on my column that is new, go check out frankietees.substack.com, is fulfilling because I'm writing about cults getting caught for being scoundrels in the daily news. Helping spread the word about misconduct is gratifying. It's totally different than hearing about someone's rape or sex trafficking, trafficking or kidnapping and hypnosis and fleecing of their wallet or family separation, which I experienced. I'm working within my limits to do what I do. Imagine not having those limits. That would take not having been abused by a cult. So I recognize those limits exist and appreciate those of you paying attention here understanding that my self-care plays a part in limits to my production. I know some of you have requested video, and I wanted to explain this. I'm sure the show would grow exponentially faster if I did video. It's a trend right now. But it's simply not something I want to do every week. Part of that is realizing I was fetished to thousands of people who stared at me when I was young. Mostly the immediate clergy who were 
sexualizing and sexploiting me when I didn't even know it. I was stared at and gawked at and fetished as a redhead twin as a child and through life for that matter. So much of that I've kind of had enough. I even went into entertainment as a ballroom dancer and instructor and even a stripper despite this. That's because I was conditioned for that and I think I wanted to take control of my sexuality. But when it hits you, when you realize that someone else wished this on you, it changes everything. It took a while for me to recoil and realize that I'm pretty introverted and introspective. I appreciate me. I enjoy thinking, reading, and learning, especially not being looked at. When you're treated like a plaything doll and it suddenly occurs to you how long that went on as a child, it can be a little unnerving. I am trained in voiceover and radio, so this works very well for me, and it's sustainable. I simply wanted to address that video element because I know some of my listeners We're requesting I do video. For now, audio is the way to go for me. Okay, thank you for listening as always. Until next time. The Frankie Files. Cults, Mind Control, and Sexuality in Society by Frankie Tease. The Frankie Files.